Hi, I'm Amira Khalid, and I'm the creator and host of Inspiring UA Women, the one and only podcast focused on female leaders in the United Arab Emirates. I enjoy meeting and talking to female leaders and finding out how they charted their path to professional success. In my show, Inspiring UA Women, I will be interviewing and shining the spotlight on a diverse group of female leaders in the UAE and inspire women in the region with their success stories. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. I hope you enjoy listening to my podcast. And if you do, please subscribe and leave your comments and ratings on iTunes. You can also follow the podcast on LinkedIn at Inspiring UA Women Podcast, Instagram at IUAW Podcast, and Facebook at Inspiring UA Women Podcast. You can also email me on inspiringuawomen at gmail.com to get in touch. My guest today is Huda Alawati. Huda's career has spanned 18 years in private equity and investments across emerging markets. She has held the position of partner at Gateway Partners Group, Chief Investment Officer for Savola Group, and Chief Investment Officer for Mina at the Ibraj Group. In all these roles, she has led deal origination, execution, and portfolio management in the Middle East and Africa region. Huda currently serves on several boards, including Tim Hortons Middle East, Hala, Middle East Investor Relations Association, and Young Arab Leaders. Huda was also on the boards of Panda Retail, Saudi Arabia's largest grocery retail company, and Herfi, one of the Middle East's largest multinational fast food restaurant chains listed on the Saudi Stock Exchange. Huda serves on the Investment Committee of Al-Ola Development Company and the Board and Risk Committee of Hala, a Saudi fintech company. Thank you so much for being on my show, Huda. It is an absolute pleasure to have you. My first question to you is tell us about your background and what drove your interest in the investment sector private equity in particular thank you so much Amira for having me first of all and it's great to do this and work on something that starts with the word inspiring so thank you for doing this as for me I'm Omani I grew up between Dubai and Muscat I went to college at Brown University in the US where I studied neuroscience so nothing to do with finance as well as business economics I went back to Oman and joined a multinational on the advice of my parents who are very progressive and supportive. I'm one of three sisters. Um, after two years in Schlumberger, I did well and they put me on this fast track which entailed coming to Dubai where the area office was. This is 2004. I fell in love with Dubai. I quit Schlumberger and I said I have to find something to do in Dubai. <laughs> I did projects. I did. I worked for a company called Zawia that was later bought by Reuters. I did a lot of things but in that period I came across private equity got hired into it so somewhat fortuitously not something I was targeting or looking for but once I started working it that was in 2004 I've stayed in it I've been to corporate a little bit but with a private equity mindset and then I loved it and I love it because it's varied it's varied in the roles you play sometimes you're wooing companies sometimes you're uh, fighting with companies with negotiating with them and challenging them and then you partnering with companies and businesses and founders and entrepreneurs and managers to make it do better. And you also get a variety of sectors. I've done everything from the oil field services, petrochems, powers, to healthcare and education, to food and retail, and now increasingly even tech here in businesses. So you get to do a lot of different things, which means you're always learning. And I think that's the best part. Now, because private equity is your area of expertise, what are some trends in the GCC that we need to watch out for? So look, I think 
broadly speaking, if I were to pick one word, I'd say revival. Revival because the last decade has not been a great decade for private equity or asset managers across emerging markets, particularly those that are driven by commodities like ours. And I think that has driven it into a bad place. There's some other issues, but I think that's the macro issue that really has challenged returns and the industry. But today there are a lot of drivers that will see the industry revive. Some are market drivers, but others are agenda drivers. So from an agenda point of view, the governments here, as you can see, are so focused on diversification and they're taking a very, very active role, more so than they've ever done before in making that diversification happen. They recognize the importance of an asset class like private equity and they're setting up programs such as emerging manager programs, which are supported by sovereign wealth funds. They're supporting local content. They are looking for job creation. All of these things require know-how and they require capital. And private equity globally has been a great conduit for know-how and capital. The market drivers themselves are also there. Obviously, there is pent-up demand in the recent past because of COVID. There is lack of capacity buildup that was already there in the last five to seven years, but has been exacerbated by the pandemic. So there's going to be a lot of capacity buildups that's going to keep the oil prices buoyant, that's going to help us invest. So I think there are a lot of these drivers. And then they're complemented by some reforms and things like, you know, opening up the markets to foreign capital, removing ownership restrictions. Subsequently, what would you say are some regional challenges that MENA's asset management industry is facing and what can be done to overcome these challenges? Broadly speaking, the challenge we face is a lack of depth. A lot of the economic activity is spoken for by the governments and some large family groups. So that already takes a lot of economic activity outside the hands of broader investor community outside of those players. And that creates less product, less issuances, and that's definitely exacerbated in the private space. Now that for the same factors that we discussed in terms of opportunity and trends is changing as governments are focused on diversification and bringing the private sector into an active role. As conglomerates look to become more lean and they're looking at a spree of divestments or spinoffs, and as local capacity is built up because you want to create local content, there will be requirement for capital and that creates opportunity in the private side and the public side and equity in debt. So I would say that's the main challenge. But another one worth mentioning is an issue of trust as well. We have had governance issues and situations which have taken away trust from the local investor management community. And I think that is something that is being addressed head on by both the regulators and the private sector participants. And in the end, it will become a gating factor and a differentiator, which I think is a very good thing for the industry. It means that we all have to be that much more more transparent, that much more governed in our behavior, and that much more uh, structured in how we do things. You touched upon tech and business earlier when you were talking about your expertise in private equity. How important do you think is the role of technology in the investment sector? And how can technology support the evolution of the sector? I see technology as a key player across the board. So it's important for how an asset manager behaves and functions, they run their day-to-day job. It's important in how the industry evolves and the sectors you play in. And it's important in terms of 
how you add value to the company. So if you take those one at a time, look at the industry as a whole. Technology has created new asset classes. Venture capital is burgeoning asset class. There's an entire new crypto asset class that's being created. Technology has a huge impact on the verticals that you could go into and the areas that asset managers can play with it. In the way we do business, it also changes at the asset manager level itself, the way you conduct diligence, the way you do distribution. I mean, think about uh, wealth management platforms that are digital, compliance and you know, know your customer platforms that are uh, enabled online. Even from an advisor perspective, that's a disruptor for us, which is robo-advisors. Today, you have these programs that people create, which basically have algorithms to manage your wealth. And it creates a question mark for a lot of human beings that have been doing that for a long time. So I think that all this disruption is something we have to work with and adopt rather than work against. I think today we see a lot of things that are driving change in a very big way. That's at the um, industry level and the way we work level, how we distribute things, how we govern ourselves, how we even manage our internal workings. But then moving on to how we add value, that's the thing I'm most passionate about. I believe that the single biggest lever for value creation in the next 10 years is digital transformation. Any business you take, any opportunity you take, if you can effect or ride on a digital transformation wave, you will see value appreciation. Of course, I think if in the next five years, companies don't catch up and invest in their digital capabilities, 2021 is going to seem like the dark ages and they will be left behind. Yes, exactly. Coming to women in investment, what can be done in the region to attract more women into private equity? Women in private equity globally uh, at the senior roles is, I think, 9% or 10% at best. So it's not a regional problem, it's a global problem. And I think that we, we need to address decision making. I alluded to having done neuroscience in college, I did behavioral neuroscience. And the reality is that the biggest chunk of bias does not come from deliberate actions. It comes from unconscious bias, from habits, from just comfort even, and stereotypes in people's minds. So I think overcoming that requires more women. It's a bit of a chicken and egg in that if you continue to have the majority of the decision making being done by men, you will continue to have this imbalance. So I think one really effective way to integrate women into any forum, be it private equity industry or anything else, is to take decision making to be more women led. If you want to fight the glass ceiling, let's build our own houses, right? And I think that that's really how you you should be looking at it. Now, of course, that's not easy because you have to get people to come through the ranks to be in the industry to then make them decision makers. But I think there are enough there and if they are given the capital if they are supported in their roles and they are given the autonomy to make decisions you will see more women come up through the ranks i think that's sort of at the decision making level of course there is the other aspect of building the pipeline and bringing women into the sector from early on and the route to private equity typically comes through investment banking and consulting they have their training programs and we at private equity just take on those uh, well-trained people i think they're doing a good job and most people i speak to in those industries they have have a good ratio going in. They start losing women in uh, late 20s, 30s during the family making years. And recently, they've had a drop in interest even at the opening of the funnel. And I think that's to do with the fact that we have a reputation for being somewhat unpleasant. People always have to remember that when women come to work and put in the time and the effort and everybody 
everybody is giving up something to be at work and put in those, you know, long nights. And we're not a nine to five industry, right? But women are often giving up something that is very natural to them, taking care of their families, whether it's their parents, their kids, whatever it is. So you're not telling people that you're giving up, you know, an easier job or easy life. You're actually sacrificing something that is precious to you naturally. And so I think you have to work at creating a better image, which starts with having a better culture. I think people are starting to do that, but I think it will also happen naturally as women come more into the workforce and the younger people and men and women, they're, you know, they're becoming increasingly self-aware, increasingly conscious of how to behave at the workplace. It's improving globally. I want to address the negative stereotype and doubts about women in investment, especially around their investment acumen, their role in financial decision-making and their risk appetite. In 2021, why are we still asking these questions? The myth is deep-rooted. It's cultural. It's so deep. And sometimes it's even in the language, right? That's a legacy issue. And, and it will have to be addressed over time. I think what we have to think about is what is the truth? Most people will tell you that, you know, the finances at home are managed by women. So obviously there is some disconnect there. Risk appetite, I think there's no such thing as right or wrong risk appetite. There should be a well-informed risk-taking action. And I think women have proven themselves to be good at it. If you take, for example, the COVID crisis and how it was handled, and countries like New Zealand and Germany and how they fared the you know early part of the crisis when you know others were suffering, it was very well handled. And that's because of the way women perceived risk, particularly a specific kind of risk, which was life, right? And I think that if you look at how women manage risk yes it may be different but i think people need to understand that risk taking should not be rewarded because that ends up in chaos risk should be managed and i think women are perfectly capable of that we just need to keep reiterating and demonstrating the examples of that how has your personal journey been huda have you faced any obstacles or the proverbial glass ceiling and how did you overcome it so yes, and I think it's true for all women. And But it's an interesting journey because I think growing up and up to the point that I was, I would say, mid to senior level, I didn't even think about it. I ignored it. I wouldn't participate in a podcast called Inspiring Women because I felt, you know, we make an issue out of something that's not an issue. And then I became senior enough to have to lead meetings, to sit in uh, decision-making forums. And I realized, oh, oh, this is a problem, right? People are discounting my opinion. I have to scream and be twice as good and 10 times louder to get maybe the same recognition as a man. And so that became very apparent to me later in life. I think it's good not to be too aware of it early on in life. But once you're aware of it, I think you will see that it's quite prevalent. I have not overcome it. Uh, I don't think we have as a people overcome it. I think you, I, I battle it on a daily basis. But what I've learned to do is discern a type of person. There are those people who are just past the stage of you trying to educate them. Their views are so embedded. I think those people I put in a waste of time basket. When you see yourself in that situation, I would say try to change your situation because if those are the people who are making your career decisions and you're bound to them, you will suffer. So try your best to not be in that situation. I'm not saying to work in that situation, work. But I think if you find yourself with those, let's say, waste of time cases, try to change your situation. But outside of that, I think it is, and that's not a huge part of the world. 
that's a small part of the world. Outside of that, I think your hard work, your achievement, as well as your perseverance will help you overcome the small battles. You Winning the war is a long-term game. We're still doing it, but we will start winning battles. You know, one meeting, one decision, one investment decision, one CEO hire, whatever it is. Try to win those battles on a day-to-day basis and fight with them and have your logic, have your reasoning laid down. But also listen and understand what it is that makes people change their mind. A very, very uh, wise man in um, Saudi that I respect very much once told me that everybody has a key. You just need to find their key. For all the professionals out there, what is the best work-related advice you have ever received? Have a thick skin. I think that's the best advice anybody can give you because, you know, the world is full of all types of people. The only way you will get from A to B is that in between you keep your head and you keep your uh, emotions in check. And to do that, you have to have a thick skin. I don't always have it, but that's the best advice <laughs> that anybody's ever given. What's a leadership lesson that you've learned that's unique to being a female leader? I think the thing that's unique to being a female leader is that your EQ is a strong suit and that empathy pays off. You can succeed and actually utilize the fact that you can be very empathetic towards your team members and the kind of loyalty and therefore productivity and effort that people put into the work they do with you really is amplified. I find that whatever I've invested in relationships with people who work with me for me has always been a good investment. And I think women are well suited to that. You're going to be inspiring many women with this interview. But could you name a woman who has inspired you the most, one personally and one professionally? I get this question of name a woman who inspired you a lot. And I always find myself a bit hesitant to give an answer with one name. So I examine it often. And I think the reason is that growing up, my parents made a big effort to tell us women can do whatever men can do. So I never had a gender lens on my role models. And I've had different role models over a different period of time. I remember growing up, my father used to talk a lot about Queen Elizabeth I. And, you know, that is a very, very inspiring story. And I used to really admire her character. And over time, there were different role models that came up. But one that stayed with me is Ruth Ginsburg. And the reason I find her so, so inspiring is the level of thoughtfulness combined with sheer grit. Wow, this woman just put her head down and did her work and did it and did it for years and years and years in a very tough environment. That's particularly inspiring to me because especially in the finance sector, men tend to shoot a lot from the hip and loudness is rewarded a lot. So the thoughtfulness and the, you know, being logical and right, I find that admirable. From a personal perspective, my grandmother. And, you know, this woman, she got married at 15, not having had formal education. But, you know, by the time she passed away, Alhamdulillah, she could read English and Arabic and Urdu. And that was all self-taught. She took care of a very, very big family. And until her last day, she was the one who was responsible for making sure that she calls every daughter, every daughter-in-law, make sure all the grandkids are fine. And, you know, by the time she passed away, even some great-grandkids. And she, she did it so well and so effortlessly. It was admirable. I think it's just, again, and showing a level of grit and focus and just this is what I need to do it has to be done this way. My last question to you is Huda, as a female leader, what are three pieces of advice you would offer professional women? I'll repeat the advice that I got, which is thick skin, perseverance, and not getting demotivated. There's so many things that go wrong in life, right? I think if you let each one beat you down, you'll just be beaten down. I think you just have to keep getting up 
And the last one, I think, enjoy yourself. Enjoy that meeting that makes you nervous. Enjoy that assignment that keeps you up till 1 a.m. I think the minute you learn to enjoy what you're doing, I'm not saying do what you enjoy only because that's not always feasible in life. But you can also learn to enjoy what you're doing. And I think that probably makes your life a lot more meaningful. Thank you so much for this educational and very insightful interview, Huda. It was a pleasure having you on my show. Likewise, really, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Inspiring UA Women podcast. Today, private equity still remains one of the most male-dominated sectors of finance. According to a March 2021 report from Prequin, women make up 32% of junior roles and 25% of mid-level roles in private equity on average globally. That weighting drops down to 12% for women in senior positions. Some investment companies are taking steps at rectifying this. Stockholm-listed EQT is one such company. According to a Bloomberg article, as part of a Euro 500 million bond price issued earlier in May 2021, EQT agreed to pay its lenders a higher interest rate if it failed to increase the percentage of women on its investment team from the current 21% to its target of 28% by 2026. Other firms such as the Carlyle Group Inc. and KKR and Co. have also set targets for the percentage of women on the boards of its portfolio companies. In February 2021, Carlyle in fact established a US dollar 4.1 billion credit line with borrowing costs linked directly to that metric. This interview with Huda offered incredible perspective into the regional private equity space. I learned about the key trends in the GCC private equity space to watch out for, the importance of corporate governance and how that has a direct impact on the market, how tech is playing a disruptive role in asset management, that there is a need for increased awareness and change in the way private equity is marketed to attract female employees. And lastly, as a woman, how vital it is to celebrate and utilize your higher EQ to invest in formulating relationships and getting the best out of people. If you'd like to reach out, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn at Inspiring UA Women Podcast, Instagram at IUAW Podcast, Facebook at Inspiring UA Women Podcast, or email me on inspiringuawomen at gmail.com. Aid Mubarak to all of you and your families. I hope you all have a very happy, safe, and enjoyable Aid break. See you next Thursday. Thank you.